0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable. Exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to In The Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Schmidt Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is All Pelicans All The Time. No, this is part two where we take your questions and do our best to answer them. And so we are gonna kick it right off without wasting any time by answering Remy McSwain's question. His question is, can we finally get rid of Tracy's as a Pelicans fan bar? Since the answer is yes, what bar or bars in NOLA should be the official Pelicans fan bar? Great question, Remy. That's very topical given everything that's going on with Tracy's. Um uh, Yes. Friendship with Tracy's canceled, right? That's the, that's the <laughs> cancel culture, cancel culture. Um, But that's a really good question. I feel like there's a lot of bars to explore in new Orleans. I would, you know, I'm not the type of bars that I would prefer to go to aren't necessarily set up best in terms of viewing experience. Um, that is uh, an advantage that Tracy had, but like, you know, like I, I enjoyed the other bar on, on Ferret and, I feel like it has a cool little divey atmosphere where there's, there's games that you can play there. And then if there was a way to get up a bunch of TV set up, it'd be cool to have a viewing
1: party there. Um, Mason, do you, do you have any, I'm trying to think of, uh, so yeah, obviously it's been some time since I was, uh, if you want to go
0: more mainstream, I, you know, my recommendation would be mid city yacht club and they actually do have, uh, the viewing capacity have plenty of TVs. They actually can set up a projector in the back. They have a lot of seating space and, and decent food. I feel like mid city yacht club would be uh, a good host for, for Pelicans watch parties. And if they're listening, please come sponsor our podcast. You're (laughs) (laughs) great.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of since, I mean, given, you know, the current state of affairs too, I, I like to prioritize places with, with solid outdoor, outdoor seating areas. So like I'm trying to think of, Oh other. yeah.
0: Then cancel the other bar. Mid city Yacht Club would be good for that.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of good places in, in like mid city area specifically, or like in the, like Lakeview, the city part of town that, that have more down the hatch areas. has some good out, yeah.
0: outdoor seating. If you're, yeah. if you're into the more garden district area down yeah. the hatch could be a possibility if you're yeah, yeah not that far away from Tracy's.
1: <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, I, I think there's there's probably not much in terms of uh, like outdoor patio seating and like in on magazine. Um, I guess like even like I don't know. Nah, I was gonna say that that dog on magazine has got a pretty nice patio. Um, and but I don't know if they don't have any TVs out there. That um, dog on Ferret is bigger. I believe. Oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting them both confused. But uh, yeah, Farad and like they're bigger. and they're probably bigger. I wonder if like any breweries could do something. Like they, they typically have a lot of nice, um, you know, space. Yeah, Ur- Urban South. No, NOLA, yeah. NOLA, uh Yeah, I mean, I don't know.
0: I don't think Urban South has that much outdoor space. I don't know. Lots of good options, and we're gonna we're gonna have to crowdsource this question. So how about you guys get back to us? Yeah, because uh, clearly, sure. you know, I feel like I feel like there's like a portion of listeners out there that are probably taking great offense to the bars that we're recommending. <laughs> no, like, no, guys no doubt, so lame. They don't know any of the good places. They're only naming all the popular bars where all the mainstream little kids go to. Um, yep. So please uh, educate us and yeah. help us figure out what would be a good Pelicans bar. And maybe we can get in touch with them and, and host something at an appropriate time.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, what else? I, I think, um, uh, so there's... Uh, some, some coaching related questions. I know we hit on uh, some of this in part one, um, but I think, so one good one related to coaching slash front office um, with, with Langdon, this is from each one more's floater. So don't be too harsh uh, uh, Schmidt, but uh, with, with Langdon's name already coming up in other job openings after one year. So it, for those who don't know, he, his name came up with the Kings. That he ultimately did not interview for that job, but they were, they expressed interest in him. Uh, how much longer do you think Langdon is with the Pelicans? How long before he gets a, a job that, you know, a, maybe a, a, his own um, ship to run?
0: That's a good question. I think it should not be surprising that Langdon's name is coming up for lead decision-maker positions. It has been for years, even before the Pelicans hired him. He's a very coveted, coveted um, I almost said covfefe, Uh coveted, <laughs> <laughs> very coveted, Uh, executive and he's always recommended by the search firm that every NBA team hires and so it's only a matter of time where he where he does get hired away and I feel like part of the reason that he took the Pelicans job was to get the title of GM because once you have the title of GM and you're not the assistant GM it's a lot easier to justify the next ownership you're like hey this guy was a GM let's bring in a GM and, or, or give them. Don't a you love that by
1: the way? Like the fl- yeah. the flimsy, like I'll see that in my line of work. Like they'll, they'll give sales rep the title of sales VP to elevate them to the customers they're dealing with. And it's just like that. It's like job titles don't mean anything anywhere. They're just like whatever it needs to be to, to get the, to get the hire or to get the deal done, you know?
0: Right. And that's kind of how Griff operates. You know, I think Griff is very supportive of lifting others and providing them with the opportunity to make the best mm-hmm. of their career. And so I I don't think it's unreasonable for Trajan to be interviewing with places, even though he turned the Kings down and in two or three years, if there's a, a lead position opened up, go for it, Trajan. You, you've earned it and uh, I support you doing what's best for your career.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, what about um, the same? Uh, so here, same question uh from him but just uh about really about coaches instead of uh the instead of langdon um any any i think there's been some rumblings about which assistant coaches may or may not stay but do you have um and it, it, do you have any insider or beliefs uh even if you know they're not, not they're not sourced about uh what coaches will be could stick with the pelicans uh, no matter who the next coach is versus who's probably gone i know we know biz Delick's out um but other than that
0: yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if Bistelic and Finch are are on the roster next year. Um, I, I think there's going to be this situation where the next coach is going to be able to put some prime assistance in in those uh, position roles. Again, going back to this whole title situation, those guys are associate head coaches, and they're kind of coveted spots there. So I believe Finch and Bistelic would be gone. Um I do believe that most, if not all of the player development guys are going to stay. So Fred, excuse me, Fred Vincent, I think is probably going to get a big raise, Um, maybe even a promotion and title. I think they're going to keep him at all costs. I would not be surprised if, if Jamil McMillan and Joe Boylan, um, they're all brought back and then Michael Ruffin and uh, Teresa Witherspoon and AJ Diggs, the whole player development crew, I would not be surprised if they're brought back they had pr- really good success at Brandon Ingram and Lonzo ball and some of the other young guys. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the majority of them are staying.
1: Nice. Yes, I think that's, I think that, that would be welcome to most, most people. Um, and, and so, I mean, specifically Vincent, he's a guy who, um, you know, everyone can't say enough good things about in his, his, his shooting coaching. Um, run shot and shot mechanics. But um, again, and I'll plug again, uh, Christian Clark's great article about Ingram that he wrote uh, a few weeks back and and the way that, you know, that, that Vincent helped him, I think was, it was really, really well done. So um, makes uh cool. Yeah. I, I think, you know, well, we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, any, any other questions you wanted to jump to next?
0: Yeah, I do have a question and this is a very interesting one. Mike De Blasio is asking, is Ubre worth the thirteenth pick? Hmm. Opening is this, so,
1: Yeah, so is uh is he like is he specifically on the market or is this just a random uh, Well, he was on the
0: market. they tried to trade him at the
1: deadline. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so he's got one year left at, I had to look at his contract situation before I answered. So he's got one year left at 14 million. Um
0: isn't it 17?
1: I see 14.4. Oh interesting. I thought it was 17. I oh. so it de- it's declining. I don't know what it was before 1920 but it was 15.6 this year and it's 14.4 next year. Oh okay. Um yeah, so um you know it's all about opportunity cost, right? I'm I I think in a vacuum I would say you know is is he worth Taking a one-year flyer on, um, I don't know because there's still the, the the whole notion that next 21 is a, a free-for-all and cap uh, cap space for a lot of teams. And so, I mean, what you know, are you gonna have to fight like hell just to keep him if you feel like you, he, he 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 did a good job? Um, so that that is definitely a wrinkle I'm considering. Um, but the, all the other the other end of that spectrum is that the draft. I mean, eh um by all accounts it's it's one of the weaker ones in recent memory and so um i think if the only two options on the table were draft one with a 13th pick or trade for kelly Oubre, i i, I think i do it um but it's not a no-brainer to me okay it's a no-brainer to me i don't do
0: it there's okay. no way there's no way. I, and this is the whole thing that I'm talking about of trading away assets for very short-term moves that make you marginally better and don't really set you up for the future. I don't like it. It's a bad shortcut. He's coming off a knee injury. You have very little cost control on him. Um, I'm not even sure he comes with bird rights because there was only. Oh, that a, would that would change it for me. me. A two-year I deal. I have to double-check that. It, that's, that's something that I need to verify. But again, like to me, getting a guy like that for next year for the thirteenth pick is a non-starter. Um, I, you know, I think yes. If whoever you draft at thirteen, it's probably going to take a long time for them to be ever as good as Kelly Oubre. Uh, that's probably a fair assessment. But I don't think, like you said, those are probably not the only two options on the table with what you can do with that pick. And I'm just not a fan. I don't, I don't also think he's that good of a player. Um, He put up very good counting stats uh, this year on a bad Suns team. I'm not convinced that his his impact translates uh, all the way and just not a fan of, of moving an asset for, for that kind of player. Okay. I mean,
1: I, like I get the rationale. I, I guess my counter would be that he's, I mean, he's, he turns 25 in December, so he's still pretty young. Um, so I don't know if it – I, I get the, the notion that maybe you're trying to improve too quickly and not giving and, – and arguably taking away opportunities from one of your younger players. So I think, I think that's also a very fair um, criticism. Um, but I, I guess it, it's more about my evaluation of the 13th pick than anything else uh, in this draft. So, um, I think I, it was not certainly not something I would be thrilled about doing. Um, I would, I would have done this back. in a heartbeat
0: if Anthony Davis was still on the team mm-hmm. and, you know, we were in a situation where like, all right, do we contend for the playoffs and title stuff now? Absolutely, but you know I, I just don't think there's any rush to to be in that situation right now with Zion.
1: Fair enough, and I, and I, I guess my I, you know closing thought on this would be that if if you like Ubre as a player and you think that he you know he's going to continue to improve and you can. um you know, if, if you're going to get him on the next contract, you think can is reasonable. You, he can still be an asset for you if you want to move him in the future. And so, like, I guess that's the that's the catch, and that that kind of gets back to your whole draft philosophy: is that like, are you going to risk overpaying him um, for more than what he's actually worth? And so, I mean, I think I think you kind of know by the next season what he is and what he can be. And and then, if, you know, in that, in that next contract for Ubre would take him through his prime seasons, uh, you know, twenty twenty six through twenty nine, and and so that's i i think i'd be comfortable with it but again i would look for other options and move in that 13th pick before i did it
0: so he had a negative 3.3 or 3.05 rpm this year that's pretty bad that's really that's bad. really bad that's really bad um he had a negative bpm like i said his counting stats are are good and people going to be like well you guys are you know working on spreadsheets but like there's something to be said when a player never once in their career has been positive in these stats. Never. Right. And I'm just tired of having those kind of players on our team that just don't move the needle in the way you need them to. And everyone's like, well, this should be a good team. Let me look how good they are. They got all this talent, but it's like, okay, how, how are they contributing to winning? Um, And, and it's also like, it's also going to be a situation where, it's going to be a contract year for him. And we, we had this contract year talk on the previous uh, episode, but you know, what does contract year Kelly Oubre look like? What is he trying to do? Is he willing to buy into a role? You know, maybe he, he might not be a starter on this team. Um, I, I, I'm just not convinced that he's a player worth giving up an asset for. Not, not yeah. that asset. You know, I, I would trade JJ in a couple of seconds for Oubre. Yeah. Easily, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. but like, look here, here's, how people can know how I feel about this trade. I wouldn't trade Lonzo for Ubre. Huh? Huh?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Um, fair, fair enough. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what kind of reputation people think he has, but he's, he's a 33% career three point shooter. So he's not that just in case anyone thinks he's some sort of like three and D type guy. He's probably neither. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I think he's an energy forward and he's a wild card and he can probably do good things,
0: um, off the bench for, for a good team. But, you know, to rely on him for any kind of winning, I I just don't think there's, there's a case for that.
1: Yeah. And like, I, I guess, I don't know what his, um, I, I didn't watch a ton of the Suns this year, but I would assume his role on this New Orleans team just inherently would be a little bit more diminished than it was in Phoenix certain or certainly in Washington, um, and so with that reduced role and, you know, wh- what he's asked to do is, does he, is he better or worse? And does that impact how his market is viewed in a year from now? Um, so, but yeah, um, all, all, all fair points.
0: Yep. What else I, I feel like with some of these players, people really want them because they are from new Orleans and I get that. There's, there's an internal the thing bias. That. Yeah.
1: What? <laughs> I didn't even think about that when we were talking about it, but yeah, yeah not fair
0: enough. No. Um, just, just not there with him.
1: Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay what you need. You can pause your account at any time Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still bet on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
0: i just continuing... Onwards with Mike de Blasio's questions. Uh, Michael asks, my big question is, why did Zion look so out of shape after less than two weeks away from the bubble? That's a really good question. Uh, do you, do you want to offer some
1: commentary on this before I jump in? Um, so the, the one point I would make, bef- uh, I don't have a, it, it is, I, I don't have a good answer for it, but it's all about context to me. And we're assuming that before he left, he was in, and we heard a lot about his, how good shape he was in. Well, I mean, apart from a couple of pictures that went viral, like how do we actually know that? And so, I guess that's that's where I would say is that who I don't know the baseline he came in on. I don't. I don't. I think that's a very hard sell for me to think that to to his point, in two weeks something changed monumentally. Like, I mean. He's a freak athlete, but I even think about like myself. Like two weeks off is not going to take me from being in tip-top shape to being just like gassed after one, you know, one sprint up and down the court. So, like, and I'm not saying short that's what, burst. Yeah, that, that's. I'm not saying that's what it looked like for Zion. I'm saying that like it's just it, it's unreasonable to assume that. And so, my question is really about what shape was he actually in before he had to leave?
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really fair question. I think. Body-wise, may, he may have been in, in good to decent shape before the bubble, but cardio-wise, you know, it's hard to believe that he was where he needed to be, especially because they weren't allowed to do any on-court work for the duration of that quarantine. Mm-hmm. So there was probably a discrepancy there, but something I really want to focus on is there, is there is something to be said about his eating habits, and there's probably a concern there that people need to um, maybe focus on. I guess not focus on. That's not the right way to put it. But let's just say that his parents um, enable him when it comes to to eating. And he gave a recent uh, interview in Men's Health, um, the Men's Health magazine, where he basically said his mom was his nutritionist. And I don't think that's a great way for him to succeed in terms of where he needs to be with his body going forward. And so in those two weeks off, I wouldn't be surprised if there was just no limits on what he was eating, no restrictions on what he was eating. And when you're six, seven, and the size that he is, it's very easy to eat a lot of food. You know, it's very easy to eat thousands and thousands of calories a day. And when you're doing nothing, um, not working out or doing any kind of exercise and just eating, it's probably easy for him to put on a lot of weight. It's probably how his body's built, uh, where it, it packs on a lot of weight. Very quickly, Um, and so I I do think that there are lifestyle changes that need to be made uh, on Zion's end that keep him in a better shape, uh, keep him more prepared uh, to miss these kind of situations. Like, let's say you get an ankle sprain and you're out for two weeks. Is this a conversation we're going to have every single time where you're you're gone for two weeks? I don't want it to be that situation, and so there there are steps that Zion and his family and his crew um, and the Pelicans, frankly, uh, need to work with in, in order to ensure that doesn't happen. And it's a delicate situation that um, needs to be handled carefully.
1: Yeah, and I feel like I, I do want to say that part of this is a little unfair for Zion, too, because everyone's body reacts different in different ways. Like, I guarantee you there are plenty of players in the NBA – that have worse diets than Zion that it just doesn't impact them the way it's going to impact Zion. And so there, there is that piece here. Um, but I think, you know, you see all, uh, you you see plenty of players who hire their own nutritionists or chefs to, to, um, to, to help them eat right. And, and so I, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to just set a baseline here that we're not saying that like, you know, we can't possibly know everything about Zion's diet. I, I don't even know if it's that bad compared to, what other players in the league, uh, eat on a regular basis. Um, when we, I get, I always think about like the Lamar Odom stuff with like how how much he loved candy. And so like, there's like these players who have like these, the, you know, these habits, but they're also, you know, they're professional athletes and their primes of their careers. And, and a lot of players just have metabolisms that can handle some of this stuff. And so yeah, Dwight, Dwight Howard yeah. would
0: talk about, he would eat like 20 snicker bars a day, yeah. you know, like yeah. Joel like, Embiid and his Shirley temples <laughs> and three cups of hot coffee. And, and, you know, um, not hot coffee, <laughs> hot chocolate. You know, there, there are yeah. a lot of, of yeah. athletes that are uh that have those kind of diet uh
1: problems. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the only thing I would I would ask this discussion. But um but anyway, yeah. Um so I, and I
0: my my comments on this are that I'm optimistic that I, I don't have any doubts that he's going to figure it out. I'm not I'm not proactively worried that man, this is how Zion's going to be, you know. I don't have concerns like that. I think he's shown he's shown even over the course of the season where he worked himself back into shape uh, before the preseason. Before he tore his meniscus, you know, he went from whatever he was at summer league to looking extremely fit um, when that first preseason game kicked off against Atlanta. And so he's shown he can be dedicated. He can do it. It's and he and I fully believe he knows what he has to do in order to become great. And it's just a matter of time uh before
1: he accomplishes that. Yep, for sure. Um okay, so we got we we can get a ton of questions this time. We got a, I, I think a couple of good ones left though. Um I think there is um So I I guess there's one that actually ties nicely into what we talked about in the last podcast, a little at a high level about the, you know, roster construction. Um, having the right, uh, just what based on what we've seen from the playoffs, and um, you know what what you think fits, what you think doesn't fit uh, in, in in that regard, and what maybe what so what's changed. So the question is from uh, Pelican Fever wants to know what have you learned from the playoffs from a roster construction building perspective that you want to see the Pelicans focus on. So like any any sort of whether it's near term or long term goals, um, you know any. Anything that jumps out to you? Yeah, so I
0: wouldn't say it's as much as like, oh, this is new information that we weren't aware of. It's more of reinforcement of current, um, the current state of the Pelicans roster, the current state of the league, and what is necessary to win at the highest level. That's what the pl- the playoffs do, is they, they shine the brightest light on, on what it takes to get that done. And I think the Pelicans are quite a bit away. In terms of roster construction. And so I think a couple things that you notice right off the bat is how how valuable high level creation is. Uh teams like the Bucks, who who were just destroyers in the regular season, struggled in the postseason because they didn't have much secondary creation or high-level creation out of Giannis. You know, Eric Bledsoe just didn't get the job done. Um Chris Middleton. Is not that player? He's you know there was um, Todd Whitehead is a fantastic follow on Twitter. Is at Crumple Jumper. He put out a really cool visual of like how frequently players drive. And Chris Middleton was one of the players like fewer like like he drives less than Lonzo drives the ball. So he's you know he's not that that creator that yet Giannis needs. And this means in creating for others as well as creating for yourself. So I think there's a premium on shot creation. I don't believe the Pelicans have it. Um, I think Zion and BI are going to get very good in that regard. I don't think they're going to be, you know, like let's say Zion gets as good as Giannis, right? We saw that Giannis wasn't enough. So there there needs to be more. And it's very optimistic to say Zion gets as good as Giannis because possible he never does, you know? Um, so there needs to be more in the Pelicans roster. There isn't enough. And I'm interested to see where they get it because when they do get it, it also poses – roster building questions in terms of defense because typically your high level creating guards aren't very good at defense so what do you do with the rest of the positions um that to me is one of the things that stuck out right off the bat and the second thing that stuck up was just versatility on defense you know Mm -hmm. big men who who can't play different styles of defense just are not valuable anymore you know, if you if you, the only thing you can do is play drop you're going to get murdered you have to be able to play in multiple different schemes not necessarily be able to switch all through through all five positions but you know, you have to be mobile enough to be versatile and, and versatility is key
1: yeah um i, I was gonna th- where you went with the second point was more what i was uh focusing in on i was um i i struggle with I don't know. It's hard to parse out like what's real versus what's not in the, in the bubble from like uh, uh, and I guess now we have a track record of two years with Giannis and the Bucks, where this has been an issue. So not just, not just this year, but um, I do like, I I, I wonder what it looks like in the Bucks series or in the Clippers series where you actually are doing these uh, traveling and playing in arenas and and what, if things work out differently, but um, uh, the defense piece specifically and the front court is what, you know, it keeps jumping out to me that there you, know, you need to have that versatility. You, you're, you're, you're. I mean, you're even. I feel like the the evolution of the big man has even taken another jump. And like looking at a guy like Bam and the things he can do defensively, um, it, it, and you know, kind of, it, it's a little bit, um, it, it's a little bit different than even some of the just bigs that we've said oh you have to have ring protection a guy who can shoot threes it's like well it's not even that simple like you you see plenty of guys play off the floor just in the the pick and roll so like um it having the right front court to really anchor a defense in the playoffs is is very challenging and so and and we talked a couple months ago about how the ingram zion fit defensively is also a challenge so it's going to be very. It's it's a super difficult task for Griff and the rest of the front office to figure out how to piece this together. And is is the goal playoffs and deep runs, or is it truly to build a title contender? And because I think those are different questions, and those are you know that they have that have different answers. And so um, that's that's what kind of stuck out most to me as it relates to the Pelicans. I feel like the on the offensive side, it's um, it's. I think that's maybe hopefully you can have more. I think that may be a little easier to figure out than the defensive piece, but you may disagree with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I definitely see the argument for that. Um, But I think the other thing that stuck out to me was, you know, shooters aren't shooters in the playoffs in the sense that just because you hit 38% from three in the regular season doesn't mean anything at all in the playoffs because teams are going to treat you, you know, if, if, if the option is, do I defend Giannis or do I go defend Brooke Lopez? They're going to defend Giannis every single time. And and guys like Brooke Lopez, just in, in the playoffs, it's very easy to help and recover and, and challenge those people or just flat out ignore some of those people. And so just, I think it's important to ignore percentages when looking at shooters. There's a different level of, oh shit, shooting when it comes to the playoffs. And just because you hit a bunch of open threes in the regular season you know if you attempted six open threes a game and you are hitting 38 percent, does not mean those same looks or anything close to it are going to be in the playoffs and and so you know if if you're a guy who can do multiple things on the floor uh, that's super important because your shot is probably not going to be where it was in, in the regular season otherwise you have to be a guy that's more than comfortable letting off contested shots and, and able to knock those down as well
1: yeah, yeah for sure ask the Rockets um uh okay um let's do let's do one more uh is there is there one that you absolutely wanted us to get to
0: i think there there's there's a couple we can do um okay there's one from nola flint uh who says is your confidence in jackson Uh, and Nikhil lower or higher than it was a year ago Mm -hmm. yeah so I'll, i'll let you go ahead and and take that question first
1: yeah, I mean, I I don't know how you can say higher for no, for Nikhil unless you were low on him before. I mean, he definitely clearly after the summer league and preseason, his 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 year this year was disappointing. I'm not closing the book on him, but um, you know, you, it, what you saw in preseason and the summer league was like, you know, can this can this guy come in and be? I mean, not uh, a a super high plus, but can he be a capable backup? guard who can get rotation minutes and not like, and you not lose, lose everything when he's on the floor. And that clearly wasn't the case. And so, I mean, I, again, not losing total all hope in him, but definitely not what we were hoping to see. And I think the opposite is true for Jackson. I mean, I think the gut reaction these days is no matter where you take a big, like a, a true center is to say, uh, well, will he ever be a guy you can rely on? um You know, when you get to, deeper in the playoffs and just the related to the conversation we're just having about defense and and being able to be versatile. Um, And so I, those concerns still have to exist, but I feel like the athleticism we saw, the energy, um, you know, I, 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 and even the, the touch in certain cases, shooting wise for Jackson, I think, I think I'm, uh, I'm definitely higher on him now than I was when we drafted him. Um, Not drastically. So, but, Definitely higher, and I have um, you know hopes for him being a rotation piece for a long time.
0: Yeah, so with Nikhil, I had literally zero expectations for him when we drafted him. I didn't do much research on him pre-draft. I didn't have an opinion. I think on draft night, I said, oh, I guess we drafted another Etuan Moore. Um, turns out his game is nothing like Etuan Moore's. He's a lot more creative on the ball. He's a lot more passing chops and I think he he really gets after it on defense but he has awful decision making um, problems and he just feels like the game is way too fast for him so I don't know if I can be low on him because I had zero opinion of him but I am of the position that if a deal presents itself or he can be included as a part of a deal for another core figure I am not going to shed a tear if if he is moved, and so you know, mm-hmm. I think he can. I think he can be a promising guard off the bench, maybe be a, a bench creator, a six man type, in in, in a few years, because rookies typically or young players typically take three to four years to start contributing, and so it's possible he gets there with the Pelicans. I'm I'm not going to be afraid to move him if I get the opportunity. With Jackson Hayes, I feel like the collective. Um, is, is way too low on him. I feel like people have completely written him off. And this year was supposed to be a redshirt year for him. And yeah, I think sure. he has all the tools. And so what, you know, if he, if he is not there three, three years from now in terms of um, his body development and whatnot, you know, I think you can probably secure him at a cheap deal going forward. You're not going to be in a situation where you have to really overpay him just because of what his positional market is. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player for years to come. I, I really, I truly really and truly believe that um, I I don't regret making that pick at all.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on, that. I, I don't like, obviously you can always nitpick around, Oh, well this guy, look how well, this guy's playing that was available when you drafted it at Jackson. So you can do that to every, pretty much every team on every pick that's made at some point. So, um, so, so yeah, but I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that with, with Jackson. And I just like the, I mean, I, I just as long, I, I want the, the energy and effort to stick. I feel like he's, he's got that in spades. So, um, you know, putting that with the, his athleticism and eagerness to get better. It's, um, it's refreshing. So, um, hopefully, hopefully it works out.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Well the last question I, I wanted to get to was a joke of, it was a joke <laughs> where my friend Corey asks who I dislike more on this team out of uncle E and Frank and that's a trick question because neither are going to be on the team going forward. So, haha, I am not answering that question. I'm not going to be on the team. And I, no, realistically, I don't dislike any of them as human beings, um, or, or, or even frankly players. I just I don't like having players on my team who don't do anything outside of score. You know, if they're not scoring, they're giving you nothing on the court. And I think that's what both of those players are. I don't think they're good defenders um, regardless of their effort or whatever people want to say about them. And uh, I wish them the best of luck on, on their next team.
1: Yeah. You just made a lot of people mad about the, after the bubble that Frank Jackson had, I think he was the, he's the, he's the poster boy for, for uh, the, the notion that, uh, we 're not taking anything out of this bubble as ways to evaluate our players. we know it 's a weird circumstance i think I think frank jackson's like the guy when you when you talk about that to uh to look at but i 'm not saying none of it was real, and I think he did play better in the bubble but yeah i I still don 't think he 's a guy I'd invest in long term
0: yeah I mean the pelicans are going to have so many guard minutes to fill up. I just good good luck, Mr Frank. I wish you the best <laughs> anywho thank you for listening to our question and answer podcast uh till next time and we're going to be bringing you some interesting guests going forward so keep an eye out for that
1: Everyone, my name's Colum
0: Kelly, and I have one question for you: Do you love fantasy football, and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts, with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.